Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Dear friends in Christ, I want to speak to you about this morning about the earthquake in our text and thought I would begin by putting such phenomena into our context. We live within striking distance of a major earthquake producer, the Cascadia Fault. I did a quick internet check to get a sense of just how far off the coast it lies. And the first map that I came across was a 2011 planning scenario, a shape map for a magnitude 9.0 earthquake on the Cascadia Fault. The epicenter for the scenario was located at north 45.73 degrees by west 125.12 degrees. And then it hit me. I've tuna fished within spinning distance of those coordinates. It is literally just over the horizon. Cascadia's proximity is manifest all up and down the coast. This church stands just barely beyond the tsunami zone. And one of the tsunami gathering places is the library parking lot in the next block. When we reflect on the devastation experienced by Puerto Rico as the result of a, an earthquake swarm, including at least 11 of magnitude 5 or greater that started in December of last year and extended on into January. When we reflect on that, emergency preparedness becomes something we need to take seriously. Perhaps COVID-19 will help to spur us on. Modern geology speaks of tectonic plates and subduction zones, interplate and versus intraplate earthquakes and resultant volcanoes. It is a fascinating study of God's dynamic creation. But God's hand is also in these seismic events. I remind you of Sinai and how Israel experienced the coming of Yahweh to visit them in Exodus chapter 19. We read, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The word of the Lord. Or there was the time during Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16 when the earth literally opened up its mouth and swallowed everything that belonged to Korah and Dathan and Abiram. But perhaps the most telling example we read about is in Haggai chapter 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Clearly, God is taking responsibility for a coming earthquake. But of what events does the prophet speak? The church fathers have several suggestions. The incarnation of Christ, the second coming in glory, the movement from idols to law to gospel, the spreading of the gospel, it is interesting to read the scriptures with the fathers to see how they treated certain texts. For my part, I would like to point you to an earthquake that happened just three days ago in our text from Matthew 27. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said,
said, Truly this was the Son of God. We have been considering these two distinct causes of earthquakes, the hand of God and creation itself. In this text, the grammar would point us to God. The shaking of the ground and the splitting of the rocks are passive voice verbs that all but require a divine agent. Gibbs suggests, quote, The events that attend Jesus' death, along with the darkness, constitute God's apocalyptic reaction to the death of Jesus. Close quote. I can agree with that. But at the same time, I can't help but reflect on Romans chapter 8, where Paul suggests that, quote, The whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Could not, would not creation itself react to the death of its creator? While it is interesting to speculate on the source of the earthquake, an even more important question faces us. What did the earthquake say about Jesus? Quite simply, Jesus is dead. Nobody doubted that fact. The women had stood at a distance and watched as Joseph of Arimathea took down the corpse. The two Marys went as far as the tomb and sat opposite as the body was interred. Jesus was dead. The chief priests and the Pharisees obtained a Roman guard to quash any rumor to the contrary. Jesus was dead. Our text opens with the two Marys returning to do what? Matthew tells us that they had come, quote, to see the tomb. Nothing more was expected, or even, I would suggest, considered. They came to look at a stone rolled in front of the entrance. And behold, an earthquake, a great one! Why? Well, there's no question of agency here. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and he approached and rolled away the stone and began to sit on it. If the first earthquake said, Jesus is dead, this greater earthquake declares, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Jesus' resurrection was an earthquake with aftershocks that rumbled throughout the world and down through history. An earthquake that changes lives, destroying death and changing the course of human history and eternity. With the first earthquake in chapter 27, Jesus garnered your wages, the wages of sin, and deposited them for eternity in his grave. The second earthquake, chapter 28, declares, You are redeemed. Hail the victim undefiledly, saying, God and sinners reconciled. Alleluia. It started with the two Marys, who were the first to learn the truth behind the angel's words. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, or just as he said in chapters 16 and 17. And again in chapter 20, Jesus declared, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus his resurrection demonstrates that every other word of Jesus is true. And the Marys listened to the angel's command. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as with the resurrection. Jesus had told the disciples about this trip to Galilee in chapter 26. 
But now, but now the word had even more hope, more promise, more life. They would see Jesus, not dead, but alive. The Marys had come to the tomb. I pictured them walking with a slow and thoughtful gait to see the stone. Now, Matthew tells us, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Doing so, they became the first eyewitnesses as Jesus met them and said, Kairate, greetings. Kairate, Rabbi, was Judas's greeting in the garden, but it was faint respect and filled with guile. Kairate, hail king of the Jews, was part and parcel of the soldiers' mockery of Jesus. But here, to the Marys, Jesus is Kairate. His word of greeting is gentle and filled with love. And their response teaches us two things about Jesus. First, they worshipped him. With the possible exception of the disciples on the suddenly calm Sea of Galilee, this is the first true worship of God's Son, Emmanuel, God with us in Matthew's Gospel. With these words, Matthew wants us, his hearers, to know that this risen Lord, who shares a singular name with the Father and the Spirit, is the same God that we worship. And second, though first in the narrative, they quote, to call them his feet. Chrysostom writes, they ran to him with great joy and gladness. They took hold of his feet. Thus they received by his touch an irrefutable proof of his resurrection, his full personal assurance of that resurrection. Quite simply, ghosts don't have feet. But Jesus' feet touched the ground before them and received their worship. And the ground shook if not literally, then figuratively, as they rose to tell the disciples. Jesus' brothers, as he now refers to them in verse 10. The aftershocks of that resurrection reverberated through Jerusalem and then to Samaria. They rippled through the entire Roman world of that day and down through the ages. It rattled the ancient city of Nicaea in 325 when the divinity of the risen Christ was affirmed with clear voice. Augsburg was rocked, as the reformers insisted, by grace alone, through faith alone, for Christ's sake alone are we made righteous. The aftershocks of that earthquake, a great one, rumbled all the way down to a church on the north side of Chicago on a Sunday in May, 1954, when I was baptized into both earthquakes, Jesus' death and his resurrection. So were all of you as Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is that blessed hope of the resurrection for each of us. The earthquake of the last day prophesied by Haggai and foreshadowed this day. Do you still feel the earthquake of Christ's resurrection rocking your days and rolling your nights? I hope so. The resurrection means that we look at things and events differently. The current pandemic with over 100,000 dead worldwide certainly rocked our world. But death and resurrection go together. Many of these died in the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection earthquake demonstrated the veracity of Jesus' words. Everything that he said is true. 
For these dead in Christ, Jesus' words to another Mary resound. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. For now, their bodies rest awaiting the final resurrection. Resurrection means that we look at things and events differently, but especially people. What about those who died without the hope of the resurrection? For them, the time of grace is ended, which only casts an even greater urgency on the days ahead for those who remain. Jesus told his brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. When that day came, they worshipped him there on the mountain, and Jesus gave them gave us this charge. As you are going, wherever you are going, disciple all nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We see people differently. Every one of them is precious in Jesus' sight. How precious? Precious enough to die for it and to rise that they might be his own. We see things and events and people different because of the resurrection earthquake. But sometimes we want to be like the Marys, simply grasping Jesus' feet in joy and worship. We can, even now. We can grasp not only his feet, but his hands and even his sacred head. We can receive the word incarnate in his word and when this pandemic is abated in his sacrament. We can embrace him not only in this life, but even more fully in that day when we shall see him coming with unspeakable glory, with the multitude of angels, and yes, then the whole world will shake. This earthquake of Jesus' resurrection will continue to the end. When death is forever defeated, his promise of the resurrection will shatter the tombs that hold our mortal bodies and reunite them with our spirit. As Paul writes, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the death will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Then we too can worship as the Marys did that first Easter morning. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He Alleluia. is risen indeed. Amen. We confess that faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 